You are listening to the Tom Elif Podcast. Tom Elif pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Elif. To the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus as we continue our study through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. In a few moments, we're going to stand together. We're going to read a portion of our text. We're going to read verses 13 through 15. We'll read these verses aloud together. Actually, the text begins with verse 5 and continues down through verse 18 as we continue our study through the book of Exodus. I want to speak this morning on the subject of feelings. That's the title of the message this morning, feelings. When I shared that title, of course, with two or three people uh, earlier in the week, they immediately broke out into the song, Feelings. Uh, That was not the response I was looking for, but uh, I do think I'm familiar enough with that song, Whoa, 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 Feelings. And um, you know, when when preachers preach, you generally think that they're going to speak on the subject, for instance, of faith or how to put your faith into practice. And yet this morning, I want to speak on the subject of feelings. And this subject comes to us out of one of the greatest chapters on faith in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you were to pick any record of an event in the life of Israel that stands out more than all of the others, it would be the event recorded in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. How it was that God parted the waters of the Red Sea, brought the children of Israel across, closed them then again on top of the Egyptian army, and as God had said, the Israelites would never see that enemy again forever. A great event in the history of Israel. But I could not help but sense as I was studying this chapter the incredible array of feelings that the children of Israel and Moses and others must have experienced. We live in a generation which more than any other generation in history, perhaps, is preoccupied with feelings. How do you feel? Well, what do you feel about that? How are your emotions running? Well, what do you, you know, and and we spend hours sometimes expressing to people our feelings. We are given to believing in this generation that feelings are of paramount importance. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. As a matter of fact, you can go to some courtrooms And bad behavior is excused sometimes just because the defendant didn't feel like behaving correctly. And that has become an argument, the argument of emotions. Well, you've got to to understand what went into this person's upbringing and why they have these emotions. And so we can excuse this awful behavior, this criminal act, because they didn't feel like behaving properly. We're preoccupied with this issue of of feelings. Do what you feel like doing. Don't do what you don't feel like doing. Of course, there is the other side of the spectrum where we find individuals who are totally calloused. 
It doesn't matter what you feel like doing, or I don't care about your feelings. Oh, you know, forget how you feel and just come on, you know. And there are people who are totally insensitive to the feelings of others. One of the things that I see as a pastor and a preacher is the awful impact that this preoccupation with feelings is having upon the church. There is a constant redefinition of church in our generation to the point that we seem to be constantly reducing the expectations of the average believer to what people who rarely talk about Jesus and many of whom don't know Jesus to what they feel like doing. And so we get down to church light. We, we eliminate Sunday nights because people don't feel like coming on Sunday nights. We eliminate prayer meetings because people don't feel like praying. We start putting in, into the church worship and to our order and our expectations. We, we just live up to the, the feelings of the most callous and indifferent individual. And so church is being dumbed down. It's being defined down in order to accommodate people's feelings. I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like witnessing. Well, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like being filled with the Spirit. I, I don't feel like forgiving Him. I don't feel like giving up those things to serve God. I don't feel like sacrifice. I, I just don't feel like it. And see, this whole preoccupation with our feelings is having an impact on every aspect of society. And so this morning, I want to speak on the subject of feelings, your feelings in particular. And so would you stand with me? And let's read aloud these verses together. Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 13, you see the words here on the screen. Let's read them. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore cry you unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will open to us truths from your word in these moments. Father, we do become preoccupied with our feelings. So often we, we let them guide our behavior. And Father, I pray that you'll show us somehow, some way, how to lay these on the altar before you, how no one cares for our feelings more than you. And on the other hand, no one has a pattern for us, a way of dealing with our feelings that it is any better than what you show us in the Scripture. And I pray these things in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, who is our Lord and who is our Savior and who is the Master of our lives. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. But you're going to need to keep your Bible open as we think together this morning about feelings. Open to chapter 14 in the book of Exodus. Now, I want to make four statements, and each statement has in it a key truth, which I want you to grasp, if you will, this morning as we look at the Scripture and as we think together on the issue of feelings. And some of you are here this morning, and you have bruised emotions. You have wounded feelings. You have a wounded heart. Others of you are going through tremendous grief, tremendous stress. Others of you may be here this morning, and you have some physical malady. And as the result of that is that it affects your feelings. And that's quite possible. 
And so you're sitting here this morning saying, man, my feelings are on a roller coaster. Sometimes I feel up, sometimes I feel down. And the truth of the matter, you may say, is I have a physical problem that, that is controlling my feelings. What do I do about that? How can I handle that? Well, let's see at least as much as the Scripture will tell us this morning, all right? And perhaps you will find some comfort, you'll find some encouragement, you'll find some strength for the journey through the Scripture this morning. All right, here's statement number one. Your feelings are a secondary evidence, not a primary cause. Your feelings, your emotions, the way you feel about something, your feelings are a secondary evidence not a primary cause. You see, behind your feelings, there are other things at work. And so here is the key truth. Write this down someplace. Your feelings are your heart's response to the circumstances of your life. Your feelings are your heart's response to the circumstances of your life. What's happening around you and maybe even what's happening within you physically, but your feelings are your heart's response to the circumstances in your life. Now, we see this here. For instance, look with me very quickly at, at verse 8 in the text this morning. We read here, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He pursued after the children of Israel. But, we read, the children of Israel went out with a high hand. They were absolutely elated because they were escaping the bondage, the servitude of Egypt. And so they were elated. And now, just a few moments later, we find something different. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And now they have another feeling. They were sore afraid, and they cried out unto the Lord. In each of these instances, you find a circumstance and a response. So feelings are your heart's response to the circumstances in your life. Now, let me visit with you for a few moments about this truth. What is your heart? When we read in the Bible about your heart, or sometimes the Bible speaks of it as being your soul, it is speaking primarily about your intellect. This is what you think about something your emotions, how you feel about what you think, and then your will, what you choose to do, your intellect, your emotions, and your will. Now, this is, if you can think of it like this with me, the toolkit with which you respond to the circumstances of your life. Now, you can't control your circumstances but you can control the way you respond to those circumstances. And the way you do this is by reaching into the toolkit of your heart, your intellect, your emotions, and your will. That means it becomes of paramount importance what you put in your heart. Um, we, through the fire and through the tornado, lost all of the tools which I had in my workshop. And my workshop was filled with tools. Some of them I had inherited from my grandfather. Some had been given to me by my father. Some, several toolboxes full of tools I had bought myself. Some had come to me from friends. Uh, but we lost all of our tools. The only 
tools we had left was a little toolbox, which Bonnie Fuller, whose, whose uh, house also blew away, uh, Bonnie had come to our house and given me a little green box which had belonged to Maynard and had a few tools in it. And I had stuck those in my car. And so since we were in our car, we were running from the tornado. Well, I had that little green box. But now it's not like a full, you know, tool chest. And it's not like what I had at home. Now, at home, it seemed that no matter what the problem was, I had just the tool to solve it. The right size screwdriver, the right size chisel, the right size drill, the right size wrench, the right kind of pliers or snippers or cutters. I had, I had everything that I needed to do, anything that I needed to do. I had the right tools. But all of a sudden, you know, here we are, we're moving into a new house, and all I've got is a little green box and some tools for which I'm grateful. But I find myself trying to... Uh, I try, find myself trying to do all kinds of things with the wrong tools just because they're not available to me. Now listen, all of your life, you are equipping your soul. You are equipping your heart. And when you have a circumstance, you're going to reach in your heart and with the equipment you have, you're going to respond to that circumstance. That's why in Proverbs, this is such an important verse. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 34, we read these words. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. And that word issues is the word for boundaries. In other words, he says, be careful what you let come into your heart because it's what you put in your heart that you use to set the limits of your life, to respond to the things that happen to you in life. And I promise you that you cannot fill your heart with things that are ungodly and then when a circumstance comes along, reach into the tool chest of your heart and expect to find something that's going to help you respond in a godly fashion. Somebody said, Bob and Peg had members of their church who, who were involved in that terrible shooting and they were counseling and they were helping people at, at Columbine in, in Littleton, Colorado. And people say, why did those boys do that? The larger question is, why wouldn't you expect them to do that? If you send kids to a school where God has been eliminated and where prayer has been eliminated and the principles of God are scoffed at or at least squeezed down and forbidden to be talked about, and if you put them in a society where, where television is filled with the, just the response to being angry is just to kill somebody, just to bump them off, and the response to being hurt, just go be unfaithful. Just go take a drink. Just go get involved in drugs. Everything we see in the media, everything they experience, well, that was what? That was in their toolkit. But that's what's in your toolkit. I mean, if you let your children watch television and all they see is murder, 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 and you say, well, it, we just let them watch cartoons. Cartoons can be some of the most violent things children see. And kids can't draw the distinction between what's a cartoon and what's a real person. My son said growing up one day, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be a cartoon. Because cartoon figures can do anything. And, you know, you shoot them and they bounce back up and, and, and you kill them and if, if it turns out wrong, you just push a button to reset and you go back and play the game all over again. And the same people pop up, but that's not the way real people are. And you keep pumping that into a person's brain, 
that killing is the way to do this, that sex is the way to do this, that drugs is the way to do this, that cheating is the way to do this, or you say you're too grown up for that, so all you do is watch soap operas on TV, that whining is the way to do this, but by adultery is the way to do this, that by being unfaithful is the way to do this. When you meet a circumstance in life, those are the tools you have to respond to them with. So that's why the scripture says, guard your heart. Set a watch on your intellect, your emotions, your will. Watch what you put in because out of it, out of that, that's the toolbox. Out of it come the issues of life. So what are we saying here? We're saying that emotions are a secondary evidence, not a primary cause. The primary cause is the circumstance. The emotions that you feel, the feelings that you have, are the way that you respond to that circumstance. Principle number two, God's sovereign plans are not subject to the approval of your feelings. God's sovereign plans are not subject to the approval of your feelings. God didn't let you vote on what he's doing with your emotions. Now, here's the key truth. It's what you want to write down. Since God's ways are perfect, they are never altered on the basis of your personal opinion. They're already perfect. They don't need any changing. They don't need any brushing up or touching up. They don't need any contribution from you as to whether they're the right thing to do. Since God's ways are perfect, they're never going to be altered on the basis of personal opinion. You see, a lot of people think God is subject to their emotion. Well, I don't think God would do that. Well, I don't feel like God ought to do that. Well, I don't feel God would do this, or I don't feel God ought to do... Listen, God's, God is not the product of your imagination. And he doesn't submit his plans to you for your personal approval. Whether something is right or wrong is not an issue of your opinion. Now, let's look at the Scripture. We'll see, we'll see how, we, uh, how this is so vividly portrayed for us. I want you to look at four verses with me, all right? Let's look, at, let's look at four different verses. First of all, look at verse 8. How do the children of Israel feel in verse 8? Well, the children of Israel went out with a high hand. They're experiencing elation. They think that God's plan is wonderful at this moment. All right, now let's look at verse 10. Here Pharaoh's nipping at the heels. What do they feel? They feel fear. After them, they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out in the Lord. Now they're afraid of God's plan. Well, look at verse 11 and verse part, first part of verse 12. And they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us thus to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this what we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Now they're angry with God and his plan. Boy, if God had to subject his plans, subject his plans to the children of Israel, one moment they like them, the next moment they're scared of them, the next moment they're angry at them, and finally they just really get desperate. Look at the last part of verse 12. It was better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. We're going to die out here. You see how stupid, how absolutely foolish it would be for God to subject his plans to you for your personal vote? Especially as, they, as it comes, well, here, I don't feel like God will do that. I don't feel, because our feelings change so much. And God is not a product of your imagination. His plans are not subject 
to your opinion. Now we're going to get down to the, to the real meat of this passage, all right? Principle number three. It is proper to confess your faith even when you don't feel like doing so. It is proper to confess your faith even when you do not feel like doing so. Sometimes I meet people who say, uh, well, I'd love to confess my faith about this issue, but I just, I just don't feel full of faith right now to do it. That's irrelevant. Here's the key truth. Write this down someplace. Faith is acting, and I might go ahead and say confessing. Faith is acting and confessing what the Lord says regardless of what the world says or how you feel. Faith is acting, parenthesis, and confessing what the Lord says about any issue regardless of what the world says and regardless of how you feel. You see, we're going to have an invitation period at the end of this worship service. And the strongest part of that invitation will be an appeal to those of you who do not know for sure that you have Christ in your heart, that you have a eternal life, that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God. We're going to invite you to come to this altar and just express the fact that you want to trust Jesus and receive him by faith as your Savior because he died for your sins. And he alone is risen from the grave. And he alone is alive today as a living Savior. And so the invitation will be for you to come put your faith in him. And you will, some of you will stand back there or up there or over there or down here. You'll stand there and you'll say, I know I should go forward and repent of sin and trust in Jesus. But I don't feel like doing it right now. That would be like a person standing in the window of a blazing building and down below are the firemen and, and your only hope is to jump. And they say, jump and we'll do our best to catch you as opposed to being burned up in that building. It's like saying, I know I ought to do that, but I just don't feel like doing so. Well, what should you do if that building's on fire? You ought to do it regardless of how you feel. What should you do if God has convicted you that you're a sinner, that you have violated his commands, that your heart is, a, is in rebellion against him, and that the wages of your sin is death, and that the only way you can come to fellowship with God is to accept Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you? You say, what should you do when Jesus is the only way, even though you don't feel like it? You should trust Jesus. See, it's proper to confess your faith even when you don't feel like doing so. Now, let me just give you a little, let me, a little hint of what's going on in Moses' life at this point. Look with me over at verse 15. Obviously, Moses has gotten alone with God in a tent someplace, or maybe behind a rock, or maybe this is going on in his heart, and he's cried out to the Lord, and the Lord says, Moses, why do you cry unto me? What are you, why are you crying out in distress unto me? Now, this is a private conversation between Moses and the Lord. I want you to look at the public confession, though. Go back to verse 13. 
These people are whining. These people are complaining. These people are saying it'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. These people are saying, Moses, we told you this is going, going to happen. And Moses stands up and says to the people, don't fear. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he's going to show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That was his confession of faith. He gets off the side and says, God, help. In the 11th chapter of uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you don't need to turn to there just now, but there is an incredible statement in verse 15 which has stood me in good stead on numerous occasions when in my heart there was just this, there was this emotional war going on, this tugging. I wanted to do one thing, but yet it re I realized that God's plan was something else, and I was seeking to embrace God's plan, and yet, man, it was just tearing me apart emotionally. And I thought, well, is it, is it right to go ahead and confess faith, even though you have emotions that, that, that seem so contrary to that? And Hebrews eleven fifteen really will stand you in good stead at a moment like that because there it talks about Abraham on his pilgrimage from Ur of the Chaldees down to what would later become the promised land to Canaan. It says of Abraham, and truly, had he been mindful of the country from which he had come out, he no doubt would have had opportunity to have returned. You know what that's saying? It's saying when Moses sat around the campfire at night and began to think about home and the big city there, that huge Mesopotamian uh, metropolitan complex from which he'd come, all the wealth that he had, the good life, and here he was in these tents. It says if he had been mindful, if his primary focus had become the country from which he'd come out, he no doubt would have had opportunity to return. He'd have figured out a way that look legitimate and respectful to get out of doing what God had said he ought to do. Do you get the picture? You see, so many times we, we feel that we're not acting in faith if we don't feel full of faith. Feelings are not the issue there, friends. Faith is acting on the basis of what God's Word says, confessing it regardless of what the world says or how you feel about it. I doubt that the Lord Jesus felt real happy about going to the cross. The Bible says he endured the shame, endured the cross and despised the shame because he looked forward to the joy that was set before him. It wasn't enjoyable going to the cross. Jesus, he hurt like a real person. He thirsted like a real person. He was in anguish like a real person. This was not a pleasant event for Jesus, but he did it for the joy that was set before him. And what I want to encourage you to realize this morning is that it's right to confess your faith in spite of how you feel. Somebody says, well, how are things working out? You've got an opportunity to say, oh, I don't know. I just feel terrible. It's just so, they're over me. And I, you know, I'm just, oh, it's just, or you can say, you know something? The Lord has shown me. Here's what's happening. I remember a, a man, one of our deacons, a church where Ralph and I were working together, we were sitting around a round table. We were, were having a, a discussion, and he said, I, I need to quit being a deacon. I said, I said uh, why? He said, well, the Bible says that a deacon orders his family well. And he said, the truth of the matter is, I haven't. He said, my daughter 
has a teenage daughter has run away. She's run away with a guy that pushes drugs. I, he says, it's just terrible. And so we said, look, we want to pray with you. We understand what you're saying and why you would want to just put things on hold for a little bit, but we want to pray with you. So we begin with praying with Henry and Norma Buxman. And um, one day I stopped him in the hall. I said, Henry, how are things going? He said, out there or up there? I said, what in the world do you mean by that? He said, well, Brother Tom, out there it looks bleak. He said, I've heard that my daughter's pregnant out of wedlock. I've heard her, her boyfriend that she's living with is in huge trouble. He said, uh, it looks terrible. But he said, up there, he said, it looks great because God has given me a promise out of Psalm 128 that my children will be gathered around my table like olive plants around my table. He said, I know God's at work in this. And so periodically, I would stop Henry in the hall. How are things going? Out there, up there. Out there, he said, it's terrible. Well, it got worse. The boy got, he got picked up. He got in jail. And here, he, Henry didn't even know where his daughter was living with this little baby. But he said, up there, God has told me. He's given me this word about my children. And um, one day, I got a telephone call from that daughter. Can you imagine it? She called me. And she said, Brother Tom, she said, my, my husband uh, has been running drugs and he's gotten picked up and he's in jail here in Tulsa. And she said, uh, one of the members of your church, a policeman, has come to this jail and has led him to the Lord. He's received Christ as his Savior. And she said, um, I went down to see him, and he said, you need to go back to your church and to your parents, and you need to ask them to forgive you, and we need to start putting our lives right. And she said, Preacher, where do I start? And I said, well, why don't, you, why don't you come visit with me? So on a Wednesday night, she came to the church. She saw her parents' car parked outside, but they were working in our library. And she drove around the block two or three times and finally decided, well, maybe they're in some other part of the building. I'll just sneak in and go to the pastor's office. And so as she was sneaking in, she met her mother and daddy who were sneaking out. I mean, she ran right into them, and I was standing right there, and I mean, you talk about squalling and bawling, and we had a reunion. And so I said, well, why don't all of you come into the office? And so they all came into my office, and we sat down, and she, with tears, she asked their forgiveness, and, and she came before our church later, and she said, you know, I, I asked for your forgiveness and for your love, and we welcomed her and that little baby. And, and, and then I told Henry, I said, now, man, isn't this great? I said, you can get back and start serving as a deacon again. Isn't great? He said, no, I can't do that. He said, in fact, preacher, he said, I'm going to have to drop my Sunday school class as well. I said, man, this is not working the way it's supposed to. What, what's the problem? He said, well, he said, my children are like olive plants. He said, you know, that husband of hers has gotten himself saved. He's been shipped off to McAllister to the penitentiary down there. Olive plants need nurturing, so every Sunday I'm going to go down there and teach him the Bible if you don't mind. And so he would go down on Sundays and he would take his Bible and he would open the Bible to that young man. Well, time passed and it got near Thanksgiving. And then Thanksgiving passed. And I met Henry in the hallway. I said, well, Henry, how are things going? He said, Preacher, he said, I want to show you a picture. He pulled a Polaroid photograph out of his pocket. He said, look at this. And there was a Thanksgiving table all heaped up with food, and there was, there was all these family members of his around, that, including that girl and the guy who had been rescued, who had been released from prison, holding that little baby in his arms. And he said, Brother Tom, see that? My olive plants around the table. What am I saying? What is the Word of God saying? It is proper to confess your faith even when you don't feel like doing so. Now, let me mention one final thing this morning. You say, well, Brother Tom, 
I've got wounded feelings. I've got a heart that's hurting. You haven't gotten anything from me yet. All right, here's the, here's the last principle. It is also proper to bring your feelings before the Lord. Why? So that you might hear and heed his counsel. That's proper. That's okay. That's okay. Here's the truth. There's a little, little kernel that you need to write down someplace. Your behavior should be guided by your faith rather than your feelings. Your behavior should be guided not by your feelings, but by your faith. But no one cares more about your feelings than the Lord. Your behavior, the way you act, should be guided by your faith, not your feelings. But if you want to just get down to the truth, no one this morning cares more about how you feel than the Lord. What did Moses do? Moses stood up there. You can just see him, you know, Charlton Heston-like, standing there with the wind blowing in his face and a staff in his hand, and here's 1.6 million Jews, and he says, Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. And they all, you know, just don't know how to respond to this. They, they stand still, and so Moses goes off to the side. He says, God, help! One man, oh, they're against me. Pharaoh's against me. The Egyptian army's against me. The circumstances are against me. Help! What did God do? God said, Moses, here's my counsel. You lift up your rod. You stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it. The children of Israel will go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They're going to follow them. I'll get me honor upon Pharaoh, upon all his hosts, upon all his chariots, upon all his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Now get out there and get with it. God cared about Moses' feelings. Turn with me to Psalm 142. Psalm 142, right in the middle of your Bible. Here's David. The only crime he ever committed at this point was the crime of loving the king too much. He was too loyal to, to King Saul. Not too loyal. He was as loyal as he was supposed to be. And Saul was hunting. He was gunning for him. He was hunting for his life. And so now David has got a bunch of malcontents who have joined themselves to him. He's found a cave. The name of the cave is Adullam. He's back in this cave with all these criminals, men who are totally unlike David. And here all he did was love Saul. He was loyal to Saul. And he's got all these guys around him. It's a miserable thing. Listen to him. Let me ask you whether you think he's pouring out his motions before the Lord. And I want to remind you that in Psalm 34, verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me and, and from all my fears. Or rather, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Listen to this. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. And when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way wherein I walked, they have privately or, or secretly laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Listen to this. Nobody cared about me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry. I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They're stronger than I am. Bring my soul out of prison. Some of you this morning are sitting here and your soul is in a prison. 
your intellect, your emotions, your will. You just feel you are so bound up and it's just almost destined that you're going to behave a certain way or feel a certain way or respond a, way, a certain way and is in prison and you need to be set free. Who can set you free? Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name and the righteous shall compass me about. You will deal bountifully with me. It's proper to bring your feelings before the Lord so that you can hear and heed his counsel because nobody cares more about your feelings than the Lord. And he won't solve your emotional problems by manipulating you or tricking you or fooling you or letting you go through some gymnastic that will not permanently solve your problem. The Lord knows you better than you know yourself. And when you come to him for counsel, to hear it, to heed it, you'll discover that he is the Lord of the wounded heart. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning you will bring to this altar those who would call out upon you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would sweep through this auditorium, bring those who will say yes to you, who will surrender to you. Lord, show us. Show us where our feelings, if left unchecked, if we don't put into the toolbox of our heart those things which are godly and good and true and pure with which to respond to the exigencies of life, then we'll respond in a worldly way. Oh, God, forgive us for that. And Father, I pray, trusting that in these moments of invitation, you'll hear us saying yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Your head is bowed. Eyes are closed. We're going to stand together in a few moments. Our choir is going to lead us in a song of invitation. What is this? This is your invitation. It's from God to you. I'm just verbalizing it. But it's from God to you, specifically to you. I'm going to ask our counselors to come even now. Some of you may just want to just get up from where you are right now as I'm speaking while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and make your way to this altar. Prayer warriors will be coming. Counselors will be coming. If you've made a decision in recent days, I'm going to ask you to come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members, such as uh, people who've joined by letter have been baptized in recent days so that we can introduce you. But listen, while all of these are already coming, let me just say to you, when we stand, this invitation is for those of you who need to trust Jesus as your Savior. You don't have the confidence you have eternal life, and this morning your desire is to repent of sin. You admit it. You confess it before the Lord. You want to turn from it. You realize He is the only way. We'll do so this morning. Find a counselor and say, look, my coming, I'm coming to trust the Lord. That's it. God bless you. Our folks are coming. I'm coming to trust the Lord this morning, to say yes to the Lord this morning. Would you do that? And you'll find forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps you're not a member of this church, but God's speaking to you about becoming part of this family. Won't you come? Don't hesitate. Won't you come and say yes this morning? Find a counselor. I'm coming. We're coming. Want to join this church. Be a part of this church. Maybe you just moved to this community. Maybe you've lived here a long time. God's put you on a search for a church home, and you sense that this is where God is leading you. Why don't you come this morning without delay? It could be you simply want to come to this altar and pray. Many will be doing that. You come and kneel beside them. And pray, God, I want to pour out my feelings to you, my heart to you. You'll find he's the friend of the wounded heart. 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting, believing that your Holy Spirit is moving in this place. At this time, oh God, bring to this altar all who will say yes to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin singing. Folks are already coming. Um, as we sing, this is your invitation to say yes to Jesus. God bless you. Come, let's sing.